We are live here at Samud Freedom Camp in the Palestinian village of Sarura, where the Israeli military has moved in and started to take down our tents and push back on nonviolent protesters. Where's your order? Where's your order? Today's episode takes place in the South Hebron Hills, where activists, including Tom Corcoran, whose voice you just heard, gathered in May. The South Hebron Hills is an arid area of the West Bank that is part of Area C, meaning under full control of the Israeli military. With the systematic expansion of Israeli settlements and pressure from the military, the Palestinians who live in the area are at constant threat of home demolitions and displacement. And in some villages, no structures or people remain. Fadl Amer used to call the cave-dwelling village of Surura home, but he was forced out in 1997 by violence from nearby Israeli settlers, who burned his crops and poisoned his wells. Two years later, the IDF declared Sarura part of Firing Zone 918, evicting the remaining residents. Though Fadl was forced to leave 20 years ago, the key to his cave still hangs off of his belt. This May, Fadl Amer attempted to return home with the support of a historic coalition of Israelis, Palestinians, and diaspora Jews. Marking the 50th year of the Israeli occupation of the West Bank, the activists gathered together to establish Samud Freedom Camp with the hope of reclaiming Sarura not just for Fadl, but for the whole community to someday return. Sumud, built where Sarura once stood, translates in Arabic to steadfastness. Sumud became not just the name of the camp, but also the coalition's rallying cry, as activists took to social media with the hashtag, We Are Sumud. But despite the historic coalition and social media efforts, the story of Sumud has largely been absent from mainstream news. As fear and uncertainty overwhelm the region, it's hard to imagine such a historic coalition of Israelis, Palestinians, and diaspora Jews coming together. But today, we'll dive into just such a story. I'm Alana Levinson, and welcome to Unsettled. Unsettled is a new podcast about Israel-Palestine and the Jewish diaspora. We're here to provide a space for the difficult conversations and diverse viewpoints that you might not hear in institutional American Jewish spaces. I'm one of the producers of Unsettled and your host for today's episode. While lots of different people were involved in building Samud Freedom Camp, in this episode, we hear from the perspective of three American Jewish activists who helped establish the camp, including Tom, who you heard from at the beginning. Just a few weeks after returning to the U.S., they sat down in my living room to tell their story. My name is Jeremy Swat, and I'm most recently involved in Open Hillel, though I've been involved in various other organizations, including If Not Now and J Street U. My name is Tom Corcoran, and I'm a member of If Not Now, based in New York. I'm Naomi Dan, and I work with Jewish Voice for Peace. Jeremy, Tom, and Naomi were there with the Center for Jewish Nonviolence, one of the organizations that formed the coalition. And after months of planning, they, along with more than 300 activists, prepared to march to Sorora on Friday, May 19th. But secrecy was needed. Because it was uncertain that we would even be able to access the land. In fact, most of the group was kept in the dark about some key details until the very last minute, including the name and location of the village itself. We didn't know what it was. No one knew what it was. Like that was like the most closely kept secret because we knew that the army could really easily just put up a checkpoint and prevent us from getting to the land that we were going to. That's why part of our group went down the night before and slept in a village nearby to ensure that at least some of us would be able to get there. 
Tom was one of those who camped close to the meetup site. There were about 60 of us. We stayed on a roof. The next morning, though, the army didn't stop anyone. And the activists from the six organizations, the Center for Jewish Nonviolence, Combatants for Peace, Holy Land Trust, Youth Against Settlements, All That's Left Anti-Occupation Collective, and Popular Resistance Committee for the South Hebron Hills, came together to march to Sarura. Fadl Amr led the group as people chanted and waved flags. And Isa Amro, founder of Youth Against Settlements, was among those who led chants. But while there was lots of excitement, there was also discomfort. I know that most American Jews have never been at a rally with Palestinian flags, and that actually that's like often really triggering or scary or just like super uncomfortable for people. And all of a sudden, it was this like really like politically diverse group of Jews working like very much following the lead of Palestinians who had designed this camp and working alongside Israeli activists and Palestinian activists. And people had a Palestinian flag in their hands for the very first time. And I looked at a couple of people and they sort of looked at their hand and looked at the flag and it was okay. And it was great. And it was like, this actually feels right in this moment. One of the most powerful things was waving Palestinian flags, like joining together as a coalition and then coming into the lands, like a land that people had not been able to be in for, for decades. When the group arrived at Sorora, there was barely a trace of the cave-dwelling village that had once stood there. A few broken-down walls in an otherwise deserted landscape. After, like, 20 years of not being, uh, of not being used, there was a lot of work to do. Knowing that settlers or the army could arrive at any time, the activists got to work. Some followed Fadl Amer to his cave. He was wearing a key uh, that hung off of his belt. It was a big rusty key that fit the lock on the gate that entered the cave that he had been born in and that we were reclaiming with him. Like Fadl Amer, many Palestinians still carry the keys to their old homes. The key is a symbol of the right of return, a movement that began in 1948 when Palestinians were displaced during the establishment of Israel. A lot of people left with their keys in their pockets and didn't know that they would never be able to go back. And so those keys are really powerful. And so it was amazing to see that he was literally wearing that key. And then we got to be there for the moment where he could use that key again. Seeing Fadal actually returning to his cave, finally like opening that door for the first time, that was something that was just undeniable. It, it felt right to be there um, and to be doing this work and supporting that work. In order to build the camp, as well as restore caves, Groups of activists hurried to rebuild stone walls and cleared out bugs from inside caves. Others began setting up a large tent. The simple act of doing that physical labor together, first digging, digging out rocks, moving them around, setting up a wall, being able to do that, it was like it was a huge equalizer and it was really, it was really humbling. As work progressed, Fadl Amr spent time with the activists. While he spoke both Arabic and Hebrew, some of the Americans only knew English. He was the most warm and welcoming person, and you didn't need to have a shared language to know that. Like, full of smiles, um, and he was greeting everyone, constantly checking in on everyone. I think he really spoke to Palestinian culture of uh, not just hospitality, but immense generosity. He was really hosting us in, in a lot of ways, even though... Uh, we were helping to build Sumud Camp. This was his home, and he had invited us to his land and to his home to do this work. Still, even this homecoming was shadowed by the threat of confrontation. We started establishing things that felt more permanent, 
and we're sort of looking over our shoulders like okay when's the army gonna come because we know that like this is a firing zone they've forbidden palestinians to be here and they could come at any time and kick us out but as the sun set those in the camp who observed shabbat gathered together amid more traditional shabbat music suli khatib from combatants for peace played the flute I think there was a certain point uh, after we had been there for about a day that I felt very comfortable in the camp and believed that the camp would continue to thrive, even though in the back of my head I intellectually knew that the camp was probably going to be uh, destroyed. Uh, that was just a really big wake-up call, I think, for me and, and for many of us, was a tiny window into what living under occupation is, is you're not sure when the army's going to come and destroy anything. The next day, as some continued to observe the Sabbath and rest, others continued to work. While cement was mixed and poured on the floor of Fadl Amer's cave, music played, people danced, and there was even a makeshift game of limbo. Oh! That's really hard level right there. Saturday night, the group gathered in the large tent for Havdalah, a Jewish ceremony marking the close of Shabbat. Among the songs they sang was an adaptation of the anti-apartheid song, Courage. It was late, like midnight on Saturday. We had a bunch of bonfires going, there was some music playing, people were still cooking food, and all of a sudden there were a series of lights that came over the hill, and within like 10 seconds we all realized that the army was coming into the camp. They went straight for our generator. They went straight for some of the tents and structures we had set up. Many of the activists began recording and live streaming on Facebook, creating hundreds of witnesses around the world. Despite having no demolition order, the army quickly destroyed most of the camp. We went back and forth between like being totally, totally powerless because um, there was nothing that we could do because we were up against such a force that had so much power and also so powerful to be holding hands with people who I trusted, who we built community with. When all that remained was the large tent, the activists responded quickly. All right, they're tearing down the tent, so they're going to tear it down with us inside it. We're moving in right now. Jeremy and others who made it inside linked arms in the darkness. The army began tearing down the tent and tried to break the group apart. We are nonviolent. We are sitting in our campsite in peace. Are you okay? Are you okay? Gathered close and low to the ground as the soldiers loomed over them, they turned to song. This world with love. So we are inside the main tent right now. They are tearing it down around us. Outside the tent, Tom and the rest of the activists were steps away from another group of soldiers. As they chanted and sang, Tom live-streamed the raid. We are here because we believe in freedom and dignity for all peoples. We believe in the right of Palestinians to their lands. 
We are here protesting against 50 years of occupation. And we are here as part of a non-violent resistance. I saw what we were doing and the risks we were taking. And I knew the risks that our Palestinian partners, that Fado, that the, that the people were returning to Surah were taking just by being there and the risks that they face every day. And for me, that was something where we had to film it. We had to report back on it because it's something that is so viscerally brutal. With the tent almost fully collapsed, the activists stood in a tight formation and grasped at the tarp in fistfuls. At the direction of a Palestinian leader, they lowered the tarp and sat on top, relinking arms. From Jeremy's recording, you can hear as the army continued to cut and tear the tent from underneath them. Sitting strong on the remains of the Samud Freedom Camp tent at the army. After about an hour, almost no structures remained. With part of the tarp confiscated, the army began loading back into their trucks. As the army left, the activists chanted a promise. The group gathered amid strewn mattresses, bags, and supplies. The medics attended to those who had been punched, kicked, and choked. Others sent messages and updates to the world. A fire and sleeping space were quickly assembled. While some went to rest, Tom joined the night watch in case settlers or soldiers returned again. Tom recounted sitting around the fire with Palestinians, including three men from the town of Um Umal who had partnered with their group, the Center for Jewish Nonviolence, earlier in the week. We were tired, we were cold, we were out there, and then they were just uh, there, you know, like making tea for us, uh, or didn't have sugar for tea, so instead gave us some like mango juice. And it was just like this this thing where, okay, like there's work to be done and uh, we need to set up. And this was a really like hard moment, but also like we can still spend time with each other and take care of each other and sit around a fire in the middle of the night. Um, and so that was something that while I was exhausted, being able to have that experience immediately after was um, really moving and really healing. When the activists woke up on Sunday morning, the army hadn't returned. Before starting to rebuild, they gathered in a circle. It was definitely a moment for me that solidified uh, what Samud means, uh, steadfastness. Using the tarp that the army hadn't confiscated, they rebuilt the tent in front of Fadl's cave. Though there was more work to be done, the Center for Jewish Nonviolence delegation had to leave later that afternoon. There was this really like deep feeling that we were just leaving the people that we had worked with and, and built this camp with. And even though that was that was always part of the plan, that like as like the Center for Jewish Nonviolence, we were going to be there for that specific amount of time and then leave. Um, I don't know. I felt I felt a lot of guilt, and I think that it's our responsibility to bring this message back. But it also felt hard to not be able to still be there and keep the work going. But before they left, Fadl addressed the group outside his cave. He spoke to us through a translator, and he actually apologized for the events that had happened in the Israeli raid uh, the previous night, which is just unbelievable uh, that he apologized to us for that. And that was really something. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. Two weeks after returning from Palestine, when we recorded this interview, Naomi, Jeremy, and Tom were still processing their time at Samud. 
we asked them how the story of Samud was being received by the American Jewish public. Well, I don't know how many people in the American Jewish community know about it still. Um, and I think, you know, the point of the trip was to be American Jews there experiencing occupation and taking part in this direct action that would get some press to be able to tell a story to people back home to change their minds. Uh, and I think that was the right approach and strategy for that plan. Um, but the there hasn't been enough attention on it. Naomi gave a couple reasons for this, including Donald Trump's visit to Israel, which happened at the same time. But also... It didn't make as much news because I think the army played us really smart. They didn't destroy the camp totally. They let us rebuild. They didn't arrest people. So there wasn't something to rally around. And some who have heard about Samud have criticized the action, arguing that no one is allowed to live in Sarura and the army's destruction of the camp was justified. They argue that the activists should not have been there in the first place. But Naomi sees it differently. People who make that argument are, are kind of missing the point, actually. And the reason that we were there was to say that these laws are unjust and that the way that the system is set up is unjust. I and mean, some of the most powerful civil disobedience actions are when you literally break the law that you're trying to change in order to make a statement about how it needs to change. The people of Sura and others from evicted villages in firing zone 918 have been fighting in the Israeli courts to have their homes back. But not only have they not been allowed to return, they also haven't been given any compensation for the land they lost. It's not possible for Palestinians to get permission to build on that land. At the same time, there's a settlement that we could see the entire time that we could see just right there. But they still felt that their presence, the American and international presence at the camp, had enabled the story of Samud to reach more people than it otherwise would have. There's people I know in, in my life or people in the lives of people who are on the trip who paid attention because American Jews were there. Whereas if it had been just, just something that was happening to Palestinians or some Israelis in support, it wouldn't have gotten as much attention. That's definitely absolutely true. Furthermore, the story of Samut's construction wasn't just an attempt to make news or about the resulting nighttime raid, which is what the news so often focuses on. You know, it wasn't just for, for show, because it's not just about that moment of confrontation. It's also about Fadal, his family, um, people actually coming back to Sarura and being able to enter their homes for the first time in at least 20 years. So knowing that that is possible and that that is still happening, that's really powerful. And that's also a story that I feel like we need to be sharing and we need to be continuing to get out there. But celebrating Fadal's homecoming, talking about the occupation at all, can be difficult. I talk to a lot of people who feel really disempowered to talk about what's happening and they say, oh, like, Israel-Palestine conflict, I've been told it's too complicated, like I've never really been there, I don't feel like I'm an authority to be able to speak about it, and I've worked really hard to help people dispel that fear, because yes, it's complicated, yes, there are multiple narratives, yes, the history is really complex, um, and also it's very, very clear that something really wrong is going on. Since I've been back, uh, when people have asked me, what was it like, how was your experience, the first thing that I've, the only thing I've really been able to muster up saying at first is the occupation is really, 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 really bad. Um, we as diaspora Jews hold uh, immense power in ending it. It's not just a distant system. It's something that people enforce and it's something that many enforce with cruelty. And that's something that I think people need to know that it's not, it's not just about, oh, they're, they're, there are all of these competing narratives. It's also a lived reality, um, 
where people's movement and rights and lives are restricted. I think that's just something that being there was so undeniable. And that's something that I'm committed to continuing to make that known to people who are in my life and people I have these conversations with. It's, yeah, it's not a myth. It's very, very real. Smooth Freedom Camp continues to bring people together, despite multiple raids from the army, the confiscation of materials, and harassment towards activists there. A celebration was held in Sarura on the last night of Ramadan to mark the one-month anniversary of Samud Freedom Camp. Led by locals and the Popular Resistance Committee for the South Hebron Hills, the next phase of work has begun to help more families return to Sarura. The Center for Jewish Nonviolence, Combatants for Peace, Holy Land Trust, and All That's Left Anti-Occupation Collective are continuing to provide support. Today, two and a half months since Samud's construction, two families have successfully returned to Sarura, and local and international activists continue to visit and work together. Special thanks to Naomi Dan, Jeremy Swack, and Tom Corcoran for sharing their thoughts. All external audio used in this episode was provided by the Center for Jewish Nonviolence trip participants, including Gilly Getz, Tom Corcoran, Jeremy Swack, Adam Greenberg, Eva Orbach, and Leah Grabelski. This episode was produced by Max Friedman, Asaf Calderon, Emily Bell, Yoshi Fields, and myself. This episode was edited by Yoshi Fields and Emily Bell. Special thanks to Nat Rosenzweig for the music and Brooklyn Deep for the recording equipment. Look out for future episodes. We'll be hearing from Palestinian activists about nonviolent resistance in the West Bank, unpacking the connection between education in Israel and the United States, and more. We're new to the podcast world. Send us your thoughts and feelings on the first episode at unsettledpod at gmail.com. I'm Alana Levinson, and you've been listening to Unsettled. <laughs>